familiar stranger. We are almost at the end of this particular series. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, there is a lot that you've missed out on. I'm sorry. I would recommend that you go to uh, the website and either go and watch some of the, the YouTube videos or download the podcast so that you can catch up. Um, unfortunately, I don't have time to recap too much, excepting to say that our, our sort of key overarching thesis is that the Holy Spirit is a person he is the third person of the God. We have God the Father, God the Son, God, God the Holy Spirit. He's not, he's not an it, it's a, he's a him. And we get to enjoy a relationship with him. He wants to empower us both on the inside, so where he actually forms uh, character and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. Where we, I don't know about you, but I, I can do it some more love, some more joy, some more peace, some more self-control, some more goodness, some more faithfulness. Maybe I'm the only one, but I, I, I need the Holy Spirit to influence me. But he also wants to work through us. He wants to empower us. And so we've been looking the last uh, couple of weeks at some of what the Bible calls the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I want to go back for a moment just to emphasize the fact that in terms of our relationship with God's Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, it is a partnership. It is a relationship. He doesn't take over our body, take over our lives, and, and, and suddenly make us loving and kind and patient and peaceful. We, we actually have a choice. We get to respond. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wish he just took over my body. Sometimes I wish he just took over my life and just made me who I want to be. Anybody? Yeah. Okay, four of us. I, I wish that he could just make me into who God has destined me to be, but it is a process. We call it formation, and I get to choose. Sometimes I make the right choices, sometimes I make the wrong choices, and it's how I keep responding to God's Holy Spirit. And, and what I'm responding to is His prompts, His thoughts, um, the whispers, when He's reminding me of Scripture, when He's reminding me of principles and practices that, that will actually lead to the lifestyle of Jesus that will then help me experience the life of Jesus. So, so that, is, that is the Holy Spirit's power in us. But then there's also His power through us. Now, first of all, in terms of His power in us, God loves you. Honestly, I believe more than you could ever imagine. That's why Paul even prays to the, to the readers of his book, of Ephesians, he prays, to, he prays for these guys saying, my prayer is that you would have a revelation of how wide, how high, how deep God's love for you really is, even though you can never really fully understand. Like, like even Paul's saying in Scripture, like it's impossible to get your head around just how much God loves you. You are loved, and that's part of the reason why he's given us his Holy Spirit to be our counselor, teacher, and guide. There's a second part, though. And that is that God loves people. God loves the people around you right now. God loves the people that you're going to lock eyes with as you go back into the community. Just now, God loves the people that you're going to interact with tomorrow at work or on public transport or at a club or at school. God loves people deeply and passionately. And he gives us gifts, amongst other things, in order to be a blessing to other people. And if that's not our heart, if that's not our motive, then we're just going to look to, to experience, then, then what we're gonna want is the things of God without actually wanting the heart of God. And that's very tempting. It's tempting to want the things of God, but not actually wanting God or wanting His heart. But if our motive, if our motive is to love people well, to serve people well, those, that motive isn't looking to impress. It's not looking to prove anything. It's not looking to, 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 to uh, make ourselves look better to others. No, no, it's, if it's to serve and to love other people, I think God is looking for people to empower. I don't think God has an empowering problem. I think God is looking for the types of vessels that he can trust empowerment with, that won't abuse it and misuse it, and that, and that are actually motivated by wanting to serve and bless and encourage and help other people actually find the life that God has, that, that God has planned for us and that Jesus purchased for us with his life. That's what we celebrate at Easter. And we get to enjoy some Easter eggs and chocolate as a, as a byproduct. But, but is that he, he paid the highest possible price. 
And so just before I get into the practicalities, I, I have to just remind us and reemphasize the heart of God. What a privilege. What a privilege that we get to be a part of what God wants to do this side of eternity. And the truth is, I don't, I don't know that the average Christian really takes advantage of that, like in a good way. I think the average Christian might settle for surviving and getting through another day, getting through another week, but, but there is this adventure that we are called, that we are invited to participate in. And I think God is looking for people to empower. So besides recapping everything else we've looked at over the last several weeks, we, we've been looking the previous two weeks and today at some of the gifts the first week, we took a look at what we call the love gifts. This isn't a technical, theological, doctrinal term. It is a, it is a, a collection that has been recommended by, by other writers and, and scholars. The love gifts are simply there to manifest the love of God in practical ways. So Tammy spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. Is that right? Was Tammy right? Yes, I thought so. Good job. I do remember. <coughs> um, and Tammy explained about the role of administration or organizing, the role of how, of how people with the gift of helps want to fill gaps and do things that are often behind the scenes and not noticed, but they are, but they are a blessing to other people. Um, the gift of mercy is often used to comfort and encourage others or to, or to make a difference in a communal social justice point of view. Those are the love gifts where we are manifesting the love of God. I don't want you to miss that word. It is a gift not to make us look, wow, wow, that guy is impressed. He is so loving. He's a man. I mean, I guess. No, no. It's not to make me or you or some of us look. No, no. It is to manifest God's love. We are his body. We are Jesus with a face. We are meant to be his hands and his feet. The love gifts manifest the love of God in practical ways. Word gifts clarify the nature, action, and purposes of God. We spoke about that last week. Gifts of, of teaching and a few others where, 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 we, where primarily it's about communicating on God's behalf. What a privilege. What a responsibility. The Bible says that not many, not many of you should want to be teachers, not school teachers, that might be for different reasons, like the pay. Let's, I think if ever we were to protest something, that should be, I think, one of the biggest things for our teachers. I think our teachers are worth three times what they get paid, but that's a completely side note. But referring to, to biblical teachers, the Scripture says not everyone should want to be teaching because you will be judged more harshly. So you actually have influence. So it is an incredible privilege, and it's an incredible responsibility. It is to communicate on God's behalf. And then today we're going to take a look at the power gifts, and these, very simply, demonstrate the power, presence, and reality of God. I, I, want, I want you to let that sink in because, because I am going to talk about some of the gifts that make some of us nervous, but it's in the Bible, okay? And yes, there have been abuses and misuses, and people have had mixed motives and sometimes just flat out evil motives, and, and some people have, have credited things to God that shouldn't be credited to Him. But the motive behind the gifts that God wants to entrust to his people in this case is to actually demonstrate his power, to demonstrate his presence, and to demonstrate the reality of God. The power gifts are the evidence of God's power in the moment to prove and demonstrate that God actually is alive and active among us. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times where, where, where I feel like I need it, and there are so many times where I feel like other people need, need to experience something that goes beyond just the intellectual, beyond just the academic, beyond just the rational, where people, where, where there is the renewing of the mind, so it's not, it's not either or, everybody, okay? It should never be either or. You shouldn't have to check your mind out at the door, but, but, but we also can't make an idol out of our understanding only. If your relationship, those of you that are married or if you've ever been involved in a romantic relationship, if, if that was only intellectual, you'd be bored to tears and you probably aren't together anymore. There is a level of experience as well that I think God actually wants us to enjoy. So the main text for today is found in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10. And before I read it, let me just quickly give you some context. This is a letter written by Paul, one of the early church leaders. He, he wrote pretty much half the New Testament. And these are letters that he's written to Christians and to groups of followers of Jesus, to churches in the early days after 
Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. And in this particular letter, he's writing to a gathering of believers that meet in a city called Corinth. And, and it's in the context of church. So especially 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is all about the gifts and being the body. 1 Corinthians 13, which actually wasn't written to give us pastors a great message to share at weddings, although it does apply, but it wasn't actually written for weddings. You know, love is patient, kind, etc. And then chapter 14, all of that is actually about serving and exercising the gifts in a communal church gathering. So 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the gifts and how we need one another and we all belong to the same body and, and everything is, is empowered by the same spirit. 1 Corinthians 13 is like, but, 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 you could speak the languages of angels. You could know everything. You could, you could give everything you have to the poor. You could even uh, basically be martyred at the stake, but if you're not motivated by love, it's nothing. You're a resounding gong. And then he goes on in verse four, love is patient, love is kind, love does not keep a record of wrongs, love does not demand its own way. Think about that in the context of a serving team. Think about that in the context of, of churches coming together and doing you know, a, a common, pursuing a common goal. It's, it's for believers that are trying to serve together Paul knew that we were gonna need supernatural love. And then 1 Corinthians 14, he's saying, okay, no, no, about the gifts that I'm about to read to you, he's like, please, please. I mean, he doesn't use these words, but I, I think in his mind, he's like, for the love of everything holy, let there be order. Be considerate to outsiders. In other words, he's saying, don't be unnecessarily distracting and weird. You are, a, no, 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 we want to serve people through these gifts we want to consider people and and edify the gathering it's not just about the individual so i I want us to have that context when i'm going to this passage in 1 corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 says now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good now let's just pause there for a sec because we have been talking about spiritual gifts and most of the most recent English translations use this word manifestation here as opposed to the word spiritual gifts. On a, on a human scholarly level, there's been lots of discussion and debate, although I don't think that, that it is ultimately questioning the core of the doctrine, the core of the theology, but where people will talk about, okay, maybe some of these are ministry gifts, so it's like practical ministry. These, the ones I'm about to read you, are, are maybe the gifts of the Spirit, where it's, where it's a special empowerment for that moment. And then still others, it found in Ephesians 4, are what many have called the office of the gift. So where, so where someone isn't, they don't just get to share a prophetic word from time to time, they're actually what they call the office of the prophet or the office of the pastor or the office of the evangelist. Like Billy Graham would have, would have been considered to, be, to have the office of an evangelist where it's not just doing that work, but Ephesians 4 goes on to say that it is to equip others for the work of the ministry. So, so it's, it's more than just you being an evangelist, being able to pastor someone. Being a, no, no, you, the, the, the role there is to actually equip and empower others to be evangelists, to be, to, to be healthy in the prophetic, to be healthy in teaching and shepherding and so on. So I'm saying, so, so I'm acknowledging that there are tensions and discussions. It's a little bit outside of the purview of today's message but I want us to catch the heart behind what I think God wants to achieve through the manifestations of His Spirit. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. So not just wisdom. Wisdom is available to all of us. You don't suddenly become Solomon if you get the, me- no, no, it's, it's a unique message for a moment. To another, a message of knowledge. You don't suddenly become a genius or a, or a brainiac. You you have a particular word of knowledge, which I'll unpack in a few moments, by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, I am incredibly mindful that we are deeply influenced by a Western worldview, and so there is in some cases, for good reason, a tremendous amount of skepticism around anything that is extraordinary, anything 
That is supernatural. And again, I want to acknowledge that in many cases, there's good reason for that. Stuff has been abused. Stuff has been accredited to God that shouldn't have been. But the danger is that we can go to the other extreme where we actually deny the power of God altogether, where we deny that God is alive, that He's still present. It smells like they're brying upstairs. <laughs> Holy moly. Anybody getting hungry? Now that you're all thinking about lunch. Sherbet. Okay. So it's understandable, okay? Hey, listen, you, God, we need you to help us supernaturally focus here because I know many of you are just now thinking about going and buying some meat so you can go bright. Just now. Stick with me, okay? Stick with me. I'll try, I'll try and, and keep this focused. I'm going to try. I can't promise what I'm going to try. So, so I understand why there'd be skepticism, but, but I want to just also, in a way, acknowledge what I think should be the obvious, which is that if we are trying to follow a supernatural God, which means He's super, He's above the natural, why would it be hard for us to imagine that He would still want to do supernatural things, and that He would still want to be present, and that He would still want to heal, and that He would still want to speak to people in a unique, life-giving, helpful, encouraging way, or that He would want to impart a, a measure of faith towards a particular thing that he wants to see done, just like what Tuddy mentioned earlier with Joshua and, and, and the walls of Jericho. That took a special measure of faith. That wasn't just ordinary faith. That was a sense of, I know God has spoken, which by the way, should always be the basis of faith. It's not faith in faith, it's faith in God. If God hasn't promised it, then it's not up to my faith in and of itself. Then that becomes superstition. Then faith becomes a genie in a bottle. No, no. Faith is when I'm saying God has spoken and I'm going to trust Him. Guys, we need the exercising, the presence, the manifestation of the power of God. I'm just telling, guys, we live in an increasingly intellectual world. And, and, and I'm telling you that as someone who who values understanding and knowledge. But I'm telling you that knowledge alone doesn't change your life. It is only the application of knowledge. So knowledge is vital, it's critical. Please don't misunderstand me. But, but, but if I make an idol out of that only, and I deny the fact that there may just be a God whose ways are not my ways and whose thoughts are not my thoughts and who, and who may actually have power, and who might actually want to touch lives and maybe in some cases supernaturally heal someone in a way that cannot be explained any other way. Or to maybe, bless you, or to maybe sh give a word of, of encouragement, prophecy, to stir our faith. Guys, come on, man. This can't just be a, our relationship with God can't just be a cerebral, intellectual, didactic experience. There has to be life, experience, and allowing God to actually be God. All right, again, let me, let me try and fly through the gifts that I mentioned here. Number one is prophecy. A great definition of prophecy is simply to hear and share God's voice on behalf of an individual or a group, often with a predictive nature. That doesn't mean that you can't hear from God for yourself. Of course you can and it doesn't mean that you should beware of chasing after prophets. Of course, you must beware of that being a motive. And prophecy is not the same as a fortune teller. And just so you know, in case you're wondering, if you, yeah, but they've, like I've been and they've told me. If, if I can just say for a moment, as seriously as possible, that we do live in a spiritual world and there are two sides. And it is not remarkable that a demon knows your past. It is not remarkable that a demon can speak to someone that is trying to tell you about your past, someone that wants the demonic to speak to them. Why is that hard? I mean, like, that shouldn't be hard to understand. But a, but a demon, even though they might predict, so there's no way for them to absolutely know the future. And it's not for life. That's the difference between someone that is ultimately, and I know that this is strong language, but I'm telling you that if it's not from God, it is from the demonic. Yeah. Full stop. And there's a lot that can go under that umbrella. But prophecy is simply a message from God. 
It is something that encourages. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, Paul says, but one who prophesies strengthens, encourages, and comforts. Which, is, which should also be a distinguishing factor. Is this supernaturally strengthening? Is it encouraging? Or is it comforting? A lot of caution is needed. The Bible is clear that we must test prophecy, so don't just, don't just take whatever's being said to you. You might need to test it. There should be, it should probably resonate. with. As prob- chances are it's affirming something that God has already been um, sharing with you if it's on, a, on an individual level or, or on, a, on a church level as a leadership. It shouldn't be like, like a 180 degree turning in the other direction. Chances are that it's gonna be a type of encouragement or affirmation of what God has already been sharing with us. Number two is a word of knowledge. This is simply when God gives you information about someone that you have no direct access to any other way. It's not just being knowledgeable. It's not just being smart. It's not just being in, intelligent. It is, a unique, it is a unique message from God that you cannot know any other way. And whereas prophecy might often in, involve a group, a word of knowledge will often involve an individual. Although I've seen it in my, in my opinion, used together. I think of, of one of the few words of prophecy that, that I received many, many years ago that I felt was legit for a number of different reasons. Just so you know, by nature, I'm skeptical. So just so you know, in case you think I just drink the Kool-Aid, I am a recovering Pentecostal, okay? I'm cautious, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical by nature. But I've also got to have integrity and say that there are so many things so many things that I've seen and experienced that, I, that, that would be heretical for me to explain any other way outside of the power of God. But I, but I remember this, this particular lady, some of you would remember Kerry Southey. I'm literally talking like 20 years ago, where I remember her, her, her first sharing what, what I would call a word of knowledge, where she spoke about stuff and was able to articulate things at the deepest parts of my heart that I wasn't even able to articulate. But, but it was like she gave language to... to to who I was, that encouraged me like you cannot believe, in the sense of, I think this is God. And it was like it built credibility so that when she was able to speak prophetically into the future, it was something that I could hold, and I wanna use, I'm using that word carefully. I, I didn't take it as a, okay, cool, I just chill out on a conveyor belt and I'm gonna move in the direction of this word. No, no, it's, 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 it has often been encouraging and confirming in terms of what God has been doing in my life, but it's helped me not to worry that I'm completely off track. But a word of knowledge can, can just, it's like it reminds you that God knows you. He's paying attention. In fact, he knows you better than you know yourself. He can articulate things that you would even struggle to articulate. I heard a story that I think explains this exceptionally well a while ago about a pastor who went uh, to a meeting with a leadership team from another church and he took a young leader with him who he was developing and training. And in the course of this evening with, with these couples, these leadership couples, this pastor had a sense to ask this young leader that he had with him whether or not he was maybe sensing anything from God. Like, did he have a word from God for, for anybody present? Now, it was probably as uncomfortable as you're thinking it was. Like, wait, what? Like, I know the look on the faces of anyone that I would take with me to another church. Like, hey, I think you've got a word from God for someone. They'd be like, (laughs) who, what? Which is something I think I should start doing (laughs) next time, next time we're visiting. But anyway, and this guy, this guy was very nervous and and especially because for some reason there was a word that had been playing on his mind, but it was like an uncomfortable word it had a negative meaning to it, and, and it, didn't qu- it, it didn't quite make sense to him, but it wasn't leaving him. It was, it was a word, a Greek word called skadula. Long story short, obviously this pastor encouraged him again and again, and, and eventually he, he very cautiously, tentatively spoke to one of the ladies that were present. She was married to one of the pastors <clears throat> in this gathering, and, and he said to her, look, I have no idea if this is gonna mean anything to you, but I, but I feel like God might want to say to you that you are not a skadula. Now, bear in mind, this is a Greek word, right? This is an English gathering. 
No one should know what this means. In fact, the word actually means human excrement. It, it rhymes with the word ship. Okay, so this isn't clear, okay? Think about it. Think about saying, I feel like God wants to tell you that you're not a piece of human excrement. Anyway, he used this word, skadula. She just broke down. As, it, as the story turned out, she'd been married previously to a really abusive husband, a Greek man, who used to call her his skadula. Hey, skadula, bring me something to eat. In front of his friends, hey, this is my little skadula. And, and for years, she, was, she had this spoken over her. And here in this unique case, where there's no way for this person to know anything about her history, God, through a moment of grace and mercy and encouragement, wanted to let her know you are not a skadula. Can you see how, when done in a, in a cautious, loving, sensitive way, that that could be deeply, deeply, deeply meaningful to someone? Number three is a word of wisdom. If, if the word of knowledge is all about knowing something that, that you can't naturally know, then a word of wisdom is simply focused on the application. It's where God might give you a, a very clear sense, a strong sense about an actual path to take, about a step to take. Maybe there are a few options on the table and you just have this overwhelming sense from God that you need to go here, speak to that person, uh, read that book, or, or go down this particular strategic path, or it, it, there's, a, there's a word of wisdom for a particular occasion. Number four is tongues. This is the one that everyone gets very nervous about, all right? Tongues is simply speaking an unknown language to the speaker, to the speaker. Now, the reason I'm emphasizing that is because there are many times where, where, where even when the Bible is referring to tongues, and then they spoke in tongues. On the day of Pentecost, they spoke in tongues. Um, there, were, there were many people present from many different nationalities, and they all heard the gospel being explained in their tongue. You'll actually see if you've got a, in fact, whether it's a paper Bible or a digital Bible, there'll be, there'll be a little number or a little asterisk next to the word tongues, and then if you tap on that or you look at the bottom of the page, it'll say all languages. So in this particular case, at the beginning of the book of Acts, where, when the day of Pentecost is recorded, you have people gathering from many, many different nations whose, whose mother tongues are diverse that are now suddenly hearing the gospel being explained in their language. However, tongues can also be what we call a heavenly language. In fact, again, right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, after he's explaining this, you can speak in the language of angels. So, there, so there, there is also a form of tongues where it is completely unknowable to anybody, and it's not something that you just learn to translate. I remember some guys, like many, many years ago, um, I mean, we, I, I don't know, I was probably like early 20s where some friends from another church, well, a skeptical, very, very, very skeptical friend, who was going to another church where they spoke in tongues on a Sunday in the service, was like, yeah, yeah, I've been paying attention, and I've been like listening out for these sounds and those sounds, and when people try and bring a translation, it's not the same thing. Like, like, like it's not phonetic for phonetic. It's not, and, and, and so to explain the difference between, between a normal translation and interpretation of tongues, which is the next gift, I think, yes, yes, number five is interpretation of tongues, is that, is that it's, it's not like you learn to interpret this heavenly language. I, I did a wedding years ago um, for a couple. In fact, anyway, don't worry about who it was. Um, but she was Hungarian, and she wanted to have her, she still is Hungarian, still alive, wonderful lady, um, and, and her mom, thanks to you, was coming down from Hungary to be present, but she, she didn't speak English at all, and so um, she, they arranged a, a translator that could help translate the wedding ceremony for the mom. Now, it just so happened that this guy actually went to our Tableview congregation, so I, so I actually knew him, super nice guy, great sense of humor, but... But he was, he wanted my notes beforehand and he had prepared to translate everything word for word, phrase for phrase, sentence for sentence. So when I was going off script, which I do all the time, he's like, <laughs> he's like, no. I'm like, where, what? He was very uncomfortable with, with having to like translate on the fly. Um, it's not like that, okay? It's, it's very similar. Interpretation of tongues is very similar to um, to a word of prophecy, really, where, 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 it is, where God gives you the message that the tongue represents. Now, 
I want to acknowledge that many, many people that love Jesus are completely surrendered to the gospel, disagree over some of these things. And it's possible to love Jesus, be fully surrendered to the gospel, and have a different opinion over some of these things. Unity is more important than agreement if we're being united around Christ. So I'm just wanting to acknowledge that, that there are people who I love and respect who, who would think that maybe tongues is, is, is only, look, there'd be some people that just think that this, that this was only at the very beginning, this was for the apostles and it's not for anybody else. Then you'd have others that would think that, okay, maybe based on 1 Corinthians 12 and a few other passages, maybe this is a, a, a unique gift for a, for a few people. And then there are others that feel like, like the, the gift of, of praying in tongues to edify ourselves is available to every follower of Jesus and that what we're talking about here is a unique endowment in a moment. So where in that moment, a special word of tongues is given. Now, I, I lean very strongly towards the third category, but I'm telling you that people I love and respect would lean more towards the middle category. And then people that I love and maybe respect slightly less, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> you know, would, I, no, no, I, guys, I mean this so sincerely. The reason I'm saying this is because I grew up in a Pentecostal church where I felt like no, no nuance or tension was ever allowed. It was like, this is the way and everybody else is basically not saved. And I just don't think that's true. I, I, I know the people, so it wasn't ugly, it was just ignorant. But there are many reasons why I land where I land, and if we had more time, I can explain a little bit more about that to you personally. But the reason why, so in case, again, we've got people that come from such diverse backgrounds, the reason why you don't see us doing this on a Sunday morning in our general public gatherings is that, is that I think, again, based on 1 Corinthians 14, I think it's important that you take your audience into account. I think it's important that you take your community, your culture into account. And, and for us, on a Sunday morning, our, it is important to us. It's not our only priority, but it's important to us that bridges are built for people that are exploring faith in Jesus. And so I want the most important stuff to be heard without allowing something that, is, that might be unnecessarily distracting. Now again, I'm giving you my view. There are many other people that I love and respect that would disagree with me. I'm telling you why we don't do this on a Sunday morning. But I think that to a fault, we don't do it anyway. And so I think that there is place amongst believers. You see, the, the point is, we don't ever want a Sunday morning to only just be believers. But you might be in a small group, a life group, and that might only be believers. You might come to an encounter worship night where that might only be believers, and then, and then we, so we need to figure out ways to, to allow the proper exercising of gifts and where it's okay to make a mistake. But you see, I'd rather you make a mistake with other Christians than make a mistake in front of people that are still exploring Christianity. Does that make sense? Okay, number six, discernment of spirits. This is simply a God-given sensitivity to truth, error, or evil. This is not just being a cynic and doubting everybody, okay? This is, this is when you are possibly listening to a message, or maybe you're in an environment, or maybe you, maybe you go to a church, or maybe you're having a one-on-one -on -one interaction with someone where just something about that just feels off. And it's not just because you're presuming the worst of everybody. There's like, you, you find that every now and then there is this sense, there's this caution, there's this discomfort. The, the best example that I can give you personally is some of you know my story from a few years back where I went to the Justice Conference where, where a lot was spoken of as being from the Bible. And so, and so on a technical level, there was a lot of stuff that, was, that might have been technically correct, but there was a heart that was ugly. There was a heart that was not, not angry, because anger, by the way, they're things we should be angry about. There are injustices that we should be deeply angry about. That is a righteous anger, but this was, a, this was in my opinion, a self-righteousness, where if you weren't doing what I'm doing, you're obviously no good. And, and it was almost like a weird reverse prejudice type, type of thing. Um, but I just felt, I, I, I was, I've never had such a disturbing weekend. 
such a disturbing conference because I just, there was this sense of discernment, in my opinion, that this, we're not coming from the same place. I'm agreeing with the end goals of most of this stuff, but holy smokes, not through hatred. I mean, that's, to me, that's the greatest irony. Justice is about love because we love people, value people, believe that every person is valued by God and, and, and has human dignity. We want to love all people, even those we disagree with. It cannot be based on hatred. That is, that is just vengeful, frankly. But maybe you've even been in a scenario where you've heard someone preaching and where, and where again, it looks like, it, feels, it sounds like a lot of the stuff that's being said is true, but there's just something in you that's like, I just don't know about that part. Like, I, I, it felt like, they, like that was coming from a different place, from a different motive. That is discernment. There are a couple of examples uh, or, or variations of this gift. Some simply know when God is present and acting, so you're able to actually discern that. Now, we know God's present all the time everywhere, but, but there are times where we feel like God is manifesting His presence in a different way, and you're able to discern that. Others understand the hidden motives of people, good or bad. Others are, turned, are tuned sorry, into situations in which the demonic are present. That's important because, frankly, there are times where it's not demonic and it's something else. You need discernment. And there are times where someone might think it's something else, but actually there could be something spiritual going on. Um, again, I want to encourage you to be very careful not just to be suspicious and untrusting and assuming the worst of everybody. Uh, right, next one is faith. Number seven is faith. People with this gift, you know, they bring oxygen into a room. They, they, this isn't just because they're typically optimistic, positive mental attitude people. No, no, there, there's something about them where, again, they're probably, it's probably connected to discernment where I, know, I believe God has spoken and there's a confidence in that. And so there's, there's a faith. There's like, guys, guys, we can, God, God's spoken. We can do this. You think of Joshua and Caleb coming back from the promised land where 10 of the 12 leaders of, I mean, these 12 men are representing about three or four million Israelites. The majority are saying, heck no. We look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We're gonna be destroyed. The two men who didn't deny what the others had seen said, yeah, yeah, but God has spoken. We can take this ground. We can or as Tuddy mentioned, where, where Joshua heard from God to go march around the walls of Jericho. It's a weird scenario, okay? That'd be like telling President Zelensky to go and march around the Kremlin. Don't say anything, don't do anything, just walk. You'd be like, say what? But because there's this clarity and this conviction, they, in those cases, actually obeyed and God did something supernatural. It is a gift of faith. For me personally, I think that, that, that God gave me, so I don't feel like this has happened very, very many times, but I feel like God gave me a gift of faith when it came to this building at the time. There were so many natural reasons why this wasn't a great option. I've never liked this building. I've always thought it was very ugly. I still think the outside is very ugly. But I, but, but I felt like God spoke to us after we'd exhausted many other options. I felt like God had directed us to this building. There were, there were so many obstacles to it. The people didn't even want to sell it to us. They're like, we, we do not want a church in the building. Try to convince us of some other place. It took a long time to convince them. Then we needed money, which we had very little of. Then God provided supernaturally for a massive chunk of it, like six millions worth, including three million from a lady I've never met who's not a believer, who just responded to, to an, an opportunity. Um, no bank would give us a bond for the rest. We were able to, again, I think through God's hand, enter into an agreement. But all along the way, there were questions, there were challenges, there were obstacles. And by the way, these are good. I'm not talking about negative stuff. I'm talking about valid people that I trust asking me valid questions, leaders who I, who I want to be able to question. And Jason, what about, what about, are you sure? And all I could keep saying is, guys, the, I think these are valid questions. I don't know, but I think that God has spoken. And the rest is kind of history. There are times where, where, where you're facing what in the natural mind look like insurmountable odds and where someone will have a, just, this, just this gut level to your bones conviction that God is going to do this. Now, you still want to be careful with that? 
please, because, because if you're wrong, you can discredit yourself big time. So, don't, so I would encourage you not to walk around saying, hey guys, God's spoken, God's spoken, we're going to, we're going to. You want to be very, very sure, you want to be very cautious. I would entrust that to, with a handful of people, people that you trust, people that aren't going to be shocked if you're wrong. Okay, so be, be very careful that we are used by God, that we're not trying to use God, if that makes sense. All right, number eight is healing, and it's exactly that. It is, it is a supernatural miraculous, no other way to explain it, healing. The divine enablement to be God's means for restoring people to wholeness, including physical, emotional, and mental illness. It is, it is where, in, in, in spite of everything that can be done in the natural, and I'm so grateful, I want to be abundantly clear that I am grateful for medical practitioners, for the medical field, I think that there is so much good that is done. But again, I want to remind you that the majority of the world doesn't have access to great medical care, which may also be why the majority of miracles, healing miracles, take place in the majority of the world. Because for many of us, I'm, I'm speaking for myself, not you. You're all amazing. For me, the reality is, most of the time, I don't need a miracle. And so, my first thought is rarely to first pray. But make no mistake about it. God is a God that heals supernaturally. Mentally, emotionally, physically. Now, to balance that out, I do not believe that he's a genie in a bottle where, where as long as we have enough faith, we can make him do whatever we want and heal whoever we want. There are people that God heals and there are people that God chooses not to heal and I don't know why. There are people that Jesus, in obedience to the Father, was able to pray for and boom, they were healed. And then there were others where he d didn't. In fact, I'll give you an example in case you're doubting me. Matthew chapter 13, verse 58 says that he, this is referring to Jesus, didn't did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. They wouldn't give him permission. So what I'm saying is there are times where, where faith plays a role, where openness plays a role, but also just simply where, where God's will plays a role. Paul the apostle had a physical condition. Paul struggled with his eyes. He also had a different place, made reference to a thorn in his side. We're not sure if it was the same thing. There are times where God allows us to, to have to work through an illness that cannot be explained. But I want to be so open to God saying, I can heal you supernaturally. I can deliver you supernaturally from anxiety. Yes, there's a lot that can be done in the practical. And, and by the way, that's a whole other side of the healing conversation is that, is that there's so much that we can do to help facilitate the healing of God when, when we're contributing to the illness and there are ways for us to steward that healing. But please believe me, I, I, I feel like maybe someone here today needs to hear that God can heal you of depression. God can heal you of, of a clinical level of anxiety. You may have to work very hard the rest of your life at exercise, at, at doing things that help process stress in a, in a healthy way, your diet, sleep, who you hang around, what you watch, what you read. But the part that is out of your control, God can. I'm not saying that he's going to, but I'm, but I'm telling you, he can. And if he doesn't, he can give you the strength to persevere through that. God can heal. This is not a question of whether he can. I'm just telling you, I'm convinced that he absolutely can. And that is a gift of healing, where that particular person on that occasion has that faith, has that prompting, has that, has that urging and that confidence to simply ask on behalf of someone else for God to do that work. Number nine is the works of power or miracles. And again, this is more or less <laughs> what it says. This gift involves the release of God's power to demonstrate his utter uniqueness. As Jesus demonstrated, it involves casting out of demons, raising people from the dead, and changing the course of nature. One of the reasons that I've asked Graham Evans to come and share next Sunday is because there are so many stories. He grew up with his dad being a pastor. There were some negative things in that he wasn't a very present father, but, 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 but in the ministry, he 
like he would be disappointed if he came home on a Sunday and someone's arm didn't, you know, grow back or someone wasn't raised from the dead or someone wasn't healed or, or some demon wasn't, you know, like, like, he, like he, that was normal. And, and I want to say to you that there are places in the world where it is normal, it's not sensationalized, it's normalized for God to actually do works of miracle. But it's not just physical, it is Jesus calming the storm or casting out demons. It is Paul who prayed for the boy some of you know the story in the book of Acts where, where Paul's, it's his last night in this particular uh, village. So he's preaching. It actually says he preached long, which makes me feel so much better. So much so that this boy falls asleep. They're on the third floor, I think it was, and he falls out of the window because he was sitting in the windowsill and he, and he fell to his death. Paul's like, I'll be right back. And he walks down the stairs. He's like, I don't know what he said. Come back to life. Boom. Boy comes back to life. And, this, and it says he carried on preaching. It wasn't since, it was like, oh, oops, sorry, okay, okay. Woo, come back, all right, let's carry on. I wonder if there isn't something healthy about not being unnecessarily distracted by God doing the miraculous. Anyway, lastly, Carol, you can come on up, is intercessory prayer. Though not included in any of the formal lists, it is inferred in Scripture. And it's a very strong gift that we need to consider. All Christians are called to pray daily, constantly, in, a, in an ongoing, there's so much to say about prayer. But intercession is when someone has a burden where, where, where you actually feel like this is your contribution in many cases, maybe amongst other things, but it's your contribution to the body. You want to pray for the church, you wanna pray for leaders, or you wanna pray through your life group, or you wanna pray for team members. It's, you, there is a burden to pray until you feel the, pr the burden lifted. It's basically the best way that I can describe people with the gift of intercession, how they might feel. Now, there are, it's been said again by human scholars that there are probably three types of intercessors. One is the list intercessors, where you just, like, give me the list, give me the phone book, and you wanna pray, through, through people, you're praying for their name, you're praying for their family, you're praying for God's blessing, and maybe, and maybe you get to a particular name where you stop and you just feel like you have to actually spend time there praying for that person. It's a list intercessor. By the way, not all intercessors want to do it the same way or maybe even get along. Just so you know, not all people, you will never find a church if you get involved enough where everybody likes everybody. But you can love one another without liking everything about one another, right? Okay, I'll unpack that morning in the future, don't worry. Then there are what they might call crisis intercessors. That's people that are, that are prompted in a moment. There's an emergency, there's an urgency. Maybe you're busy washing the dishes and all of a sudden you just have this burden to pray for somebody. And you actually, chances are, stop what you're doing and you start praying. And in some cases, that could go on for a really, really, really long time until you feel a release. And there are so many amazing stories about, about people that were burdened to pray for someone that it turns out later on was in a life and death situation or was in a crisis. And then for others, there's what, and this is, I'd say, probably the least, and this is what some would call an assignment intercessor. An assignment intercessor is someone who, it can only be explained by God, I think, feels this burden to be committed to praying for a particular person. They don't feel like it's even a choice. It's not like, they, it's not like they've kind of gone through options and selected someone. They feel like God has called them to pray for this person, in some cases, for the rest of their lives. Now, there's some cases, I mean, I know of one pastor who has an older lady in his church who, who, who didn't even like him, because I think he was the youth pastor, and she... There was a lot about him she didn't like, and, and then she felt God say to him, it is your job to pray for him for the rest of your life. And so every single week, once a week for 30 minutes, they meet, she prays with him, and continues to intercede for him. I know of someone personally, who, very young guy, went into the ministry, as, also kind of like, like as a youth pastor, and landed up preaching at another church. I'm talking 23, 24, 25 years ago. I know this person well. Preaching at another church and, and someone in the, I, I, to my, I don't even know if they've ever actually met, but this person, this, this lady in this congregation felt this burden to commit to him. 
I think it could be for the rest of her life. I'm not sure. But what I do know is that after a, sh- after a short while, he landed up attempting suicide, landed up in a mental hospital, landed up walking away from God for the next probably 15 to 20 years, landed up in prison, far from God. This lady never stopped praying for him. She felt like this was her assignment. When there were practical needs, physical needs, when he, when, when he, needed, when he was trying to study in a prison, she, she would send money even to contribute towards his courses. And what I can tell you is that now, 25 years later, as of the last couple of years, he's serving God out of prison. His life has after a long time gotten really stable. He's a wonderful father. The next generation, in my opinion, has, is being affected. And I am convinced that to a large extent, is due to a few people that wouldn't give up praying for him and are continuing to pray for him. Guys, we need the gifts. We need the power of God. I absolutely would not be standing here if it weren't for other people exercising the gifts that God has given them. If it wasn't for other people that, that were loving when they needed to be loving, challenging when they needed to be challenging, that would use their gifts of teaching, that would use the gift of prophecy, that would use the gift of prayer and intercession, that would use the gift of mercy when I've needed mercy. That's not a trite or exaggerated statement. I'm telling you, I would not be standing here right now if it wasn't for the body of Christ. We need one another. We need the Holy Spirit. You are needed. So Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would stir not only an interest, but a passion, a commitment to wanting to be your body, your hands and your feet, where we can be used to bring you glory, to bless others, to encourage others, to serve others. God, help us to be humble. Help us to be okay with making mistakes. Help us to be quick to own it and apologize. Help us to be committed to unity and to get over all the superficial garbage about about us all having to feel warm and fuzzy towards one another all the time, but that we'd be committed to something far more significant than our feelings. That we'd be committed to a cause that is gonna last for eternity that we'd be willing to get over ourselves, that we'd be willing to push through fears and insecurities. And that in some cases, for some of us, we need to push through our minds to where we need to actually trust you that possibly, just possibly, maybe, your ways are a little bit greater than our ways and your thoughts are a little bit greater than our thoughts. Help us not to put you into some kind of unhealthy, small box. Help us not to make you a small God. Help us to give you the space to be a great God. A great God who has chosen by grace to want to use broken people, imperfect people, but humble, teachable people to be a blessing, to be an encouragement, to be used by you to make an eternal difference. Help us, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.